University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Well, Happy New Year to you. I hope it's been a good one for you so far. And I hope it will continue to be a meaningful and wonderful year together. Now, I have a confession to make. I am a movie crier, or a TV show crier, or a book crier, or whatever the media might be that I'm engaged with at the moment. I'm the guy that cries at the drop of a hat when a scene gets emotional, when somebody is... Uh, experiencing a heartfelt moment. It's not just in sad movies either. Just a movie with a good story and a good, good set of character development will often bring me to tears. I'm a little shy about it, though. I've gotten better about this. But I usually try to hide it. I may not do as well covering it up as I think. But I've learned over the years to embrace this about myself and maybe even enjoy this about my personality a little bit. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot. Raise your hand. I really mean this. Raise your hand if you are also one of the few, maybe, that consider yourself to be a movie crier. I'm so glad that some of the men in the room are doing this. I hate to be that guy, but it is 2022, and it's okay Men can cry, embrace it. It's a wonderful thing. Now, I don't care who you are, but you are lying to me if you tell me that you didn't shed at least a tear during The Lion King when Mufasa fell from that cliff. I know, spoiler alert, but that movie came out 28 years ago. So if you haven't seen it, then that's your own fault. Or how about in Les Mis? Les Miserables is... The army rolls into the city to showcase their might, and the heroes of the story defy them by singing, Do you hear the people sing? Singing the songs of angry men, it's the music of a people who will not be slaves again. It gets me every single time. If you know me even a little bit, though, you know that one of my favorite characters of all time is Luke Skywalker from Star Wars. I love Star Wars. I'm almost ashamed to admit how many times I saw episode seven when it came out in the theaters. The answer is seven, by the way. But like many boys, when I was eight years old, I dressed up as Luke for Halloween, specifically the costume from Return of the Jedi, an all-black costume with a green lightsaber. And my sister Lauren, two years younger than me, dressed up as Princess Leia. I still remember that Halloween vividly. Because Luke is a captivating character for really good reason. He's the nephew of a poor farmer from a backwater part of the galaxy who accidentally gets caught up in something much bigger than himself. He goes on to become a great epic hero, saving the galaxy from evil. But it's not just Luke Skywalker. There are countless examples of these kinds of stories throughout history. It's the epic hero who rises from nothing 
in order to save the day, a story that is as old as human history itself. Now, of course, spoiler alert, again, in a minute we'll talk about Jesus. But even before the time of Jesus, we see stories like this. Homer's Odyssey, for example, is one of them, which likely predates the time of Jesus by several hundred years, and many, many others. It's part of our human DNA to tell stories like this. There's just something about a good, epic hero story that taps into the human experience, that draws something out of us. It speaks to something real and true as we watch a character overcome hardship, rise to the occasion through immense difficulty, and ultimately save the day against seemingly impossible odds. And of course, we imagine ourselves in their shoes, wondering about what kind of epic story we might find ourselves in. Our gospel writer today, Luke, sets up the beginning of what seems like an epic tale as well. In a way, the gospels have some similarities to these ancient epics, though, of course, with some big differences. Now, during Advent, we read several of these stories together. Luke chapters 1 and 2 set the stage, functioning almost like the preface to a novel or the introductory scene in a play or a movie. There's a prophecy of the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner to the true hero of the story. And in this prophecy story, an angel comes to Zechariah to tell him that he and his wife Elizabeth, though they were getting on in years, the text says, will have a son. They will name him John. This is followed, of course, by another prophecy, an even more important prophecy, the foretelling of the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. And this time, the angel Gabriel comes to the town of Nazareth, a probably small, we might even say, backwater town. And Gabriel comes not just to anyone, but to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the reader perceptively says, wait a minute, the house of David, the king, in Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, apparently so. Something important and unexpected is coming. And the angel tells her, Mary, that she will have a child, even though it's impossible and she can't understand it, and that this child will be called Son of God. Well, then John the Baptist is born, and there's more prophecy, this time from Zechariah, who's filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaims that there will be a Savior, someone to save them from their enemies, and that ancient oaths from God himself will be fulfilled. And then, of course, Jesus himself is born in the lowliest of circumstances, as epic heroes often are. There are more angels giving praise to God and telling those in the surrounding hills of this great and miraculous thing that has happened. The Savior is here, and finally, all the wrongs of the world will be made right. Jesus is presented in the temple, and this child is announced as the chosen one. Mary and Joseph were amazed at the things said of their child. 
that he would be destined for greatness. It really is the beginning of a truly epic hero story. And then we come to our text today. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. An odd story in the middle of the narrative, but one which we might think continues this epic trajectory. Let's read the text together. Each year, his parents, Jesus' parents, that is, went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to their custom. After the festival was over, they were returning home, but the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. Supposing that he was among their band of travelers, they journeyed on for a full day while looking for him among their family and friends. And when they didn't find Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. He was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and putting questions to them. Everyone who heard him was amazed by his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were shocked. His mother said, child, why have you treated us like this? Listen, your father and I have been worried. We've been looking for you. Now, in some ways, by the way, this is starting to sound a little more mundane than the early prophecies and visits from angels. Just two parents worried that their son has run off and gotten lost. But the text continues. Jesus replied to them, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he said to them. Aha, there's our epic hero. Hovering above the world around him, operating on another plane of existence. Almost. Jesus then went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. His mother cherished every word in her heart. And Jesus matured in wisdom and years and in favor with God and with people. In this story today, Jesus is found in the temple, again, a little bit older than before, this time with the teachers. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Though, of course, his parents were less than thrilled. Maybe if you're a parent, you can relate. Because, of course, Jesus had left them without them knowing. They had to search for him for days, scared half to death and anxiously trying not to think about all the horrible things that could have happened to him. Child, why have you treated us like this, Mary says? Your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety, another translation says. But this is our hero we're talking about. A little time on his own wouldn't be the end of his story. And with an almost stoic tone, the kind of voice we might expect from an epic hero, Jesus says to his mother, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I must be about the things of my father? Well, no, they didn't know that. They didn't even know what he was talking about. 
But this 12-year-old boy seems to now be separating himself a little bit, distancing himself from his parents, and is taking ownership of this mission at hand. And Jesus, in what appears, again, on the surface to be the fashion of an epic hero, he recognizes his calling as one which is larger than himself and the world he has known so far. The prophecies are proving true, whether Jesus knew them or not, and Jesus seems to be ready to embark on his task of saving the world. Now, this is the point. In the epic hero tale, after a lengthy build-up and introduction, that the hero usually launches off to begin their journey, to begin fulfilling their purpose and mission to become everything they were destined to be. And so Luke leads us right up to this point where we expect that the next thing that will happen will be that Jesus will depart for his true vocation. But after all this buildup, all the prophecies and miracles and extraordinary pieces to the story, Jesus goes back home. And for roughly 18 more years, he goes back to his normal life, what we can only assume to be a pretty normal, mundane existence in that small town of Nazareth. The next thing that we read in the Gospel of Luke after this last verse we read is a proclamation of John the Baptist, now an adult, and the baptism of Jesus many, many years later. So what happened? From the time Jesus was 12 in the temple, recognizing and taking ownership of this calling from God, to these next events, 18 years later, we have a massive gap in the story. But just because there's a gap doesn't mean it wasn't important. In fact, sometimes what's left out is just as important as what's there. I think Luke might be trying to tell us something very significant about who Jesus is and why he's different. Why he's different from the heroes that we're used to. About the kind of savior we might expect and perhaps about what this means for how we live our lives. Jesus doesn't set off on some grand tale full of adventure. He doesn't become the kind of Messiah that many had hoped for, either a military leader or a political leader who would conquer the enemies of Israel with force. He doesn't set out to become the hero in the way that we're used to. Instead, before he begins his ministry, he goes right back home to a normal life, to a rather mundane, ordinary, maybe even slow life. Probably much like yours or mine this time of year. This, by the way, is in part what we mean when we talk about incarnation, big theological word that we use this time of year. God coming here to earth 
not in supernatural force or with some grand spectacular display of otherworldly power, but rather incarnation means that God came to be among us as us in the regular, everyday ordinariness of life. Now, I don't know about you, but this resonates with me at a very deep level this time of year. After months of preparation for Christmas, shopping for gifts, Advent services, Christmas music, cookie decorating, Christmas movies, we finally get to Christmas on December 25th, and just like that, it's gone. Family goes back home. Decorations begin to come down. The Christmas tree is discarded or put away, and it's back to normal life. I usually end up in a little bit of a funk around this time of year. I don't know about you. But maybe, maybe God is just as present in the boring and the slow and the mundane, and the ordinary. And perhaps the work that we are called to in the world might at times seem a little more ordinary than the grand, epic tales that we might dream about. There's a woman named Denise Walker who gave a TED Talk a few years ago in which she talked about the importance of simple kindness in a way that might, in fact, change the world, she said. And she tells the story of a man walking home from work, coming to a bridge where he sees another man sitting on the ledge, seemingly very upset. And the first man, he simply just paid attention. He walked over and asked, are you okay? A simple, ordinary thing to say, but one which might have gone overlooked, had he not paid attention, or had he just been in a hurry. And 45 minutes later, after some conversation, the man on the ledge decided to get into an ambulance and accept some help. He was on the verge of suicide. They exchanged phone numbers, and they went on their way. And months later, the man on the ledge contacted the other gentleman and said, Thank you for saving my life. I wasn't in a good place that day. My wife and I have decided to name our son after you. A simple gesture of ordinary kindness had a life-changing impact on an entire family. And I tell you this story not because it's grand or epic, or world-changing, though there are plenty of those out there. Those kinds of stories can inspire us. But I wonder if often those big, grand stories have the effect of letting us off the hook, or maybe even discouraging us, because we couldn't imagine doing something like that. We couldn't imagine doing something as great as a Gandhi or a Mother Teresa, or a Nelson Mandela. But these little stories, 
these small stories of ordinary love and kindness. We can do that. And in fact, maybe that's mostly what our calling in the world is about. If you continue to read Jesus' story in the Gospels, later on, as an adult, it really isn't a grand epic tale that he's on. Surely there are miracles, some very powerful teaching, but he's not performing miracles on the steps of the temple or proclaiming his message from a king's palace. The vast majority of what Jesus does in his ministry is quite understated, hidden to most of the world around him, with one or two or at most a household of people to whom he's deeply committed in that moment. And for a variety of other reasons, Mark, for instance, even goes as far as to have Jesus actively work to keep his ministry a secret. This isn't Odysseus, or William Wallace, or Luke Skywalker. It's not the epic hero we are used to. And I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. It gives me hope that I could also follow Jesus in that kind of work. As we enter a new year and leave the Christmas season behind us, and return to what might feel boring or mundane by comparison. Know that it's not in spite of our ordinary lives that God works, but exactly in them, exactly around them, and exactly because of them. Jesus flipped the epic hero script upside down, Exchanging power and glory and praise for small moments of service and love and sacrifice. And indeed, it is that flipping of the script that changed the world. You or I may very well do great and grand and widely celebrated work in the world. And I hope that's the case. Like the epic heroes we dream about. But take heart that that might be more the exception than the rule. It might be that instead the real work of discipleship is in slowing down enough to pay attention to the ordinary moments. Or in fully embracing the regular, normal, everyday life that God has given you with all of its joys and struggles and complications. The smile and warm presence that you give to the cashier working on a holiday. The listening ear you give to a friend in need. The meal that you take and deliver with love. These are the ways to change lives. And by changing lives, we change the world. This is what Jesus did, and it's our calling as well. Amen. I invite you to take a moment of silent reflection, and perhaps a question this morning would be, 
how can you see the presence of God in the everyday, ordinary life to come?